Well, we are continuing our series. We're in week seven now of our series called The Productive and Effective Life, Eight Biblical Steps to Reaching Your Full Potential. So it's not exactly a self-help thing. It's more about gaining the tools you need in order to be able to meet the calling of God for your life. So we want to be ready when God calls us to do things. We want to be ready to experience the fullness of God. And when we have these eight things, we can do that. If we don't have these eight things, it's, it's just not going to work out. So we want to be able to add these things. So the scripture we've been going off of is Second Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3. We will read this again. So it says this, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. So do you have everything you need for life and godliness? Yes, you do. Does it feel like you have everything you need? Sometimes it doesn't. But what you have is you have access to the power of God. You have access to His divine power. He allows us to be able to connect with Him. And when we connect with the power of God, we have what we need for life and godliness. So we need to connect with God's power. Verse 4, through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith. So the first step is faith. It all starts with faith, believing in God, believing God is good, that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. It's faith. Add to your faith Goodness, goodness is, literally translated would be manliness. It means to have the strength to do the right thing. Okay, you have faith, now put it into practice. Start doing the things that you say you believe. You have faith, so add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge. As you start putting things into practice, you start learning by experience how these things work. And to knowledge self-control. So self-control is strength, just like the second one. The second one being strength to do the right thing. Self-control is strength to not do the wrong thing. So you know those are two different things. You've got to do the right thing first, but then to not wreck it, you have to not do the wrong thing. If you're working on your marriage and it's starting to make progress and then you just, you know, swear at your wife for a while, then what's going to happen? Well, but I I had faith and I did the right thing and I'm learning how this works, but now you destroyed it because you you did the you lacked self-control. So, or the next one and to self-control perseverance. So you have to keep going. And to perseverance, godliness. We talked about godliness last week. And that's basically that point in time where we start to see the new creation, that part of us, the God part of us, has been growing and flourishing and now it overshadows the sinful nature and the old ways. This is where we're able to uh, be described, you know, as a devout follower of Christ, where we just have a, a more godly character. We start to see things. Our vision changes. The way we see people begins to change. We just have a, a, a closer walk with God. It's godliness. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. That's what we'll cover today. And to brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure... So it isn't that, you know, we we cross faith and we go to goodness and so we're done with faith. Each one, you know, we kind of build them up as we go. 
So we, we grow them all. If you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So again, if you've ever felt like you're spinning your wheels, like you're not getting anywhere, like, yeah, I believe, but what difference does it make? Then there's probably something along this progression that's missing because the promise is that if we have these eight qualities in increasing measure, we will be productive and effective. How many people want your life to matter for something? Oh, man. Yeah. So we can be productive and effective for the kingdom of God. Let's put these things into practice. You know, let's do this. Verse 9. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. There's always two sides to the coin. Verse 10. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure, for if you do these things, you will never fall, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I will always remind you of these things. So if you've been here every week, you've heard this scripture every time. I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them. And are firmly established in the truth you now have. So scripturally, we can keep reminding you of the same things over and over. Because, man, this is a very significant progression. And we don't want to miss it and wonder, how come I'm not getting anywhere? How come it seems like I'm just sort of stuck? Let's see this progression. Let's put it into practice and grab hold of it. So, today we cover a very neglected part of Christianity, and that is brotherly kindness or loving one another. It's a very neglected part of the faith. It's something that when I got saved, I didn't understand in the least. I had very little comprehension of this idea, and it took me quite a while to get a feel for it. And uh, I think it's something that isn't deeply ingrained in our understanding of what it means to follow God. So basically, this is talking about loving your fellow Christians, loving each other, loving the other sons and daughters of God. That's what this is talking about, love each other. So uh, some of the questions we're going to answer today is, who is us and how do we treat us? So who is us? Us is the people that love Jesus. The people who are endeavoring to follow Christ, to follow the Lord. The Christians, the believers, the the sons and daughters of God, that's us. How many different types of us is there? Or we are all pretty much the same. We are different. Believers are different. But we are called to love one another, to have brotherly kindness. This, the Greek word is the word like Philadelphia. You know, it's brotherly love. Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. It's that Greek word, Philadelphia. It means uh, basically a fondness from the womb. You know, it's like we're brothers. We're together. We're on each other's side. Brotherly love. That's, that's what this is talking about. And it's talking about this between believers. So one believer to another, we love each other. So who is us? It's the believers in Jesus. How do we treat us? 
we love each other. This is a very important part of the faith. And Jesus says this very strongly in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. Here's what Jesus has to say when he's talking to his disciples. It's kind of a, uh, he's talking to the inner circle and he says this, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Jesus says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. First question, how has Jesus loved you? Well, once you got your theology straightened out, then he loved you. Once you knew what to wear when you went to church and how to say the right things, then he loved you. Or was it before all of that? As he loved us, he loved us when we were his enemies. He loved us when we were messed up. He loves us through the whole process. So Jesus says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. The word must is a very strong word. The word command is a very strong word. Jesus commands us to love each other as he has loved us. Isn't that amazing? Are you capable of that? Isn't that the big question? I read this verse, I get a little nervous. You know what I'm saying? Are we capable of that? Can we love each other as Jesus has loved us? Can we follow this command? Can we do this must? What would it mean if we loved each other as Jesus loved us? It would mean that we all give more than we take. Did Jesus give more than he took? It would mean that we forgive easily and quickly. You think Jesus just stewed for weeks about what one of the disciples said? <laughs> I can't believe Peter said that. Oh, you know, he's just, <laughs> you know, he wasn't grumpy sitting by himself, stewing, quick to forgive. It means that we wouldn't judge, but we would pull for each other. You know what I mean? Jesus is pulling for you. He sees the mistakes you make. He understands the misunderstandings that you've got. He, he sees past that, but he's not judging you. He's pulling for you. He wants you to get free. He wants you to get uh, into that place of overcoming. He wants you to get there. He's pulling for you. And it means we would actually care. You know, it's, it's good to nod during the sermon. It's another thing to love people like Jesus has loved you. Amen? That's deep. That's powerful. If we can't do that, we've got a problem. We're commanded that we must love each other as Jesus has loved us. If we can't do that, we've got a problem. Let's do this in two ways. Let's say it from the positive side. What would it be like to be part of a group of people, 20 people, 50 people, 100 people, 500 people, whatever it would be, to be part of a group of people where they all loved you like how Jesus loves you, like they all loved each other like how Jesus has loved them? What would it be like to be part of a group like that? Oh, man. Last night, somebody shouted out, it'd be heaven. And amen, that's what heaven will be like. (laughs) 
And we can have a taste of that here in this world. But what if, instead of loving each other like Christ has loved us, what if instead we're selfish and self-centered and we're short-tempered and we're just not interested in other people and we don't really have time for each other? That's going to be a problem. One of the things that my son Daniel uh, said in one of our little family discussions, he's, he, you know, he's young, he's 19, he gets all fired up about different things. And he was saying, you know what, that whole idea that there's a special someone out there for everybody, that if you just meet that special someone, you're going to live happily ever after. He says, that's baloney. <laughs> He's like, that's terrible. That's just completely wrong. And like, what do you mean? He's like, he said, most people can't live in a, a biblical Christian marriage in the first place. They don't have the capacity to do that. There isn't anyone on this planet that they'd be able to have a good relationship with. It, it just, it's just not going to work. This special someone out there isn't going to solve all their problems. They've got to deal with themselves first. If you can't function inside of love and respect and, and be inside of that sort of relationship, it doesn't matter who you connect with. Don't put that on them. Oh, this must, it's not working. This must not be the special someone. It's clearly not my fault. It must be that it's not the special someone. You know, and he's like, well, that's ridiculous. So he, anyway, he went off on that. It's fun to listen to him when he gets worked up over stuff. And it's the same thing with church. Oh, if I just find the right church, if I just find the right group, it'll all work out. It'll all be fine. You know what? We need to love each other as Jesus has loved us. In the midst of our imperfections, in the midst of the the mess, and just give more than we take in the middle of that. And just like with marriage, there's the marriage paradox, and that is that, you know, the husband has to give more than he takes. Amen? And the wife has to give more than she takes. Amen? (laughs) But if they both give more than they take, then they'll both receive more than they could possibly give. So it's a a paradox. And it's the same thing with church. If we all come together and we all give more than we take, we'll get to be part of a community that is so wonderful to be connected with that we'll receive more than we could possibly give. It's the same thing. So we need to not be looking at our, our spouse or the church, I mean, you know, with some sense, you know what I'm saying? At the same time, be giving more than you take. As we do that, then beautiful things will grow and we can grab hold of good things. So we want to be at the place where we can give more than we take. Then we can start to walk into this good thing from God. Let's go to Romans 12.10. Romans 12.10 says the same thing that Jesus said, only it's a little bit easier to take in Romans 12.10, in my opinion. It says this, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Somehow that seems a little more doable than as Christ has loved me, so I must love the others. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. So if you're fighting for a parking spot at church, what do you do? You just let the other person in. You know, it's a very simple, simple thing. 
Honor one another above yourselves. It's something that I didn't catch when I got saved, when I became a Christian. I missed it. I grew up in North Dakota. The personal ethics in North Dakota are, you know, you carry your load. Don't let anybody else need to help you. You earn your keep. You get the job done. You know, if somebody was was slacking, that was a very bad thing. You know, I mean, we had a saying, you want to get taken care of, cross the Red River. You know, you, you want somebody to take care of you, go to Minnesota. You want to work, you stay here. You know, that's the way that goes. So, uh, <laughs> but I mean, there was this individualistic, I'm going to, I'm going to carry my load. There was a, a personal pride over that of, you know, I don't need anybody's help. I can get this done. And so that was part of my understanding of reality. And it, it soaked in in a way that I didn't fully realize. And then when I got saved, I saw it as, you know, I'm going to go serve God. I'm going to carry my load. And if you're not carrying your load, then you're sorry. And that was, you know, that was the deal. Uh, but I didn't understand that I now became part of a family. I now became part of a, a global family of brothers and sisters that I've never met, but that I have the same heavenly father as, and that the brothers and sisters are to love each other and care about each other and be there for each other, love each other, in fact, as Christ has loved us. I didn't catch it. But then once I realized that we're supposed to love one another Then I started seeing it all over the place in the Bible. You ever had that happen where you wake up to something? Like when you wake up to the things of the Holy Spirit, then all of a sudden you're like, wow, that's like everywhere in the Bible. And when I woke up to this idea of the interconnectedness of the body of believers, it's like it's everywhere. In fact, last week when we were talking about godliness, we read some scriptures in James chapter 2, and this idea of love one another is in there. And I don't know if you caught it, but we're going to reread it, and I'll show you that it's there. So James chapter 2, starting in verse 14, says this, What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? So James is saying, okay, you've got faith. Now you need to have, you need to man up and put your faith into practice. You got step one, do step two. Put it into practice. Verse 15. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. A brother or sister, one of us. How do we treat us? We love each other. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? If you don't take care of your own, oh man, what good is that? Verse 17, in the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. The thing is, is that James was worked up over, what, you're not going to love each other? You're not going to take care of each other? You got to do that. That was an egregious thing to have one of us go untaken care of, and just given lip service. Who's us? The believers in Jesus. How do we treat us? We love each other. The us is very different. This is person to person. You know, brothers and sisters, we love each other. This can be church to church. One church to another, we love each other. Denomination to denomination, we love each other. 
We need to love each other as Christ has loved us. Again, did he wait for us to, for us to agree with him on everything before he loved us? To wear the same style clothes to church before he loved us? To have the same type of music before he loved us? No. When we put our faith in Christ, what we need to do now is reflect the love of God for us to all our brothers and sisters in Christ. So let's talk about a few things that can mess up this brotherly kindness, this Philadelphia, this brotherly love from person to person. Um, We've already talked about you know, kind of thinking, well, the, you know, I need to find the perfect church so that I can connect. You know, some people are like, oh, the church is full of hypocrites. They disengage. You still need to love each other. We're to love one another. Did Jesus love us when we were hypocrites? Yep. Love one another. Now, a couple other things that can mess it up. A beautiful phrase that started coming out a couple generations ago was talking about having a personal relationship with Jesus. Many people have heard that terminology. You need to have a personal relationship with Christ. Here's the deal. Yes, you do. (laughs) You need a personal relationship with the Lord, but there's an inadvertent mistake that's happened. What people were trying to do is say, okay, just going through religious motions is not sufficient. Don't just show up for church and have no real connection with God. You need a personal relationship with Christ. But what happened is, then we started having personal relationships with Christ, and well, you know, my faith is my faith, your faith is yours, they're separate, we don't need to talk about it, I don't need to have anything to do with you, I'm just going to love Jesus and that's good enough for me, you can go deal with your life yourself. And it got too personal, too individualistic. But that Jesus that you put your faith in says that we need to love one another, love each other as he has loved us. And so we're not just brought into a personal faith in God, we're brought into a family. And we need to embrace that family and be part of that family or we're walking into disobedience to God. So yes, you need a personal relationship with Jesus. But understand that personal relationship brings you into a relationship with people too. Here's the one I fell into. But they're messed up. Right? Those people are just plain wrong. Does Jesus love us when we're wrong? Yes, he does. Hallelujah for that. Because how many of us would be in the love of Christ if he didn't love us when we were wrong? You think you might have something a little off right now? Might I have some theological mistakes going on in my head right now? Just might be. But here's what happened to me. So I got saved from a completely non-Christian background, had no idea about God, and then when I got saved, I was rather quite shocked. I didn't anticipate that God was real. Turned out He was. It was a very surprising thing, emotionally difficult for me to, to grasp, but I started to get there, and then I looked at the church and I thought, these are a bunch of goofballs. You know, like they're fighting over music, they, they don't like each other. They squabble over the most petty, goofy things. And they've taken the Alpha and the Omega that they claim to worship and made him a cartoon character. What in the world is going on with these people? 
And I was very angry. I mean, the Alpha and the Omega, he's holy and glorious and wonderful, and we should bow. And I just thought, this is, this is terrible. And I got very angry at the church. I got very angry at Christian leaders. I just thought, these people, they have God, and this is what they've done? Fight over music? <laughs> Fight over what you wear? It's ludicrous. It made me so angry. So I didn't think I belonged to that group. I didn't like that group. I fell into that trap of, but they're goofed up. And then something happened to me. I went to uh, the Promise Keepers meeting down at the Dome, and I got invited by some people. I didn't really know what it was about, but they invited me, so I'm like, yeah, sure, I'll go. That's cool. And they had a point in time where they were going to have all the pastors stand up, and we're all going to cheer for them. And I thought, I'm not cheering for them. They're the ones steering the ship into the rocks. Like, we're going to cheer? But I thought, where am I going to go? I'm in, I'm in the middle of the dome. I'm just going to wait it out. So I figured, I'll just, I'll just wait this out. So they had everybody sitting down. They had the, the ministry and pastor people stand up. A very strange thing happened. I recognized some of them. Not that I knew them, but like, I remember passing that guy in the hallway, and he seemed like a nice guy. Not the evil monster that's destroying the faith. He seemed nice. And I stood by that guy and his son, who both stood up in the hot dog line, and they seemed like nice people. Something hit me of realizing these are just normal people trying to do the best they can to serve the Lord with what they got. And then... I felt like in my chest, like there was just a bucket of cold water, you know, just a bucket of cold water. I think I'd been carrying that thing around for a few years. And all of a sudden it was like the bottom of the bucket was just gone and the water just fell out. And I, I felt that happen on the inside, just whoosh. And just a love of God hit me for the broken church that's difficult to explain. And by now, everybody's standing up. I'm having this little moment with God, so I don't know why I'm standing up. I didn't know I stood up. Everybody else is standing up. I don't know what's happening, but I remember we were all standing up. And as this is happening, I'm having trouble just like, wow, what in the world? And when I went to say that, it's just some other language came out of my mouth. And I was like, God! And so I just sat right down. I'm like, what was that? And so that was my introduction to some of these things of the Holy Spirit and the baptism in the Holy Spirit and the the washing that comes through that. And now I can work with any messed up Christian there is. I can work from church to church, denomination to denomination. It doesn't bother me at all because you know what? People are doing the best they can with what they've got. And we're different And it's okay to be different. We don't all have to be the same. It's all good. I was talking to an ELCA pastor one time, and we were just talking about how we prepare for services because, you know, it's a pretty different structure. And he told me that he spent as much time preparing the prayers in the liturgy as he did on the sermon. And I was like, really? We don't really prepare. We just pray. You know, we just let her fly. It's time to pray. Okay, we just pray. 
You know, that's what we do. We don't, like, write notes down. I mean, he wrote it out word for word. And I was like, wow, why do you do that? (laughs) That's interesting. And he said, well, I think that the prayers are really, really important. And I should pray over what I'm going to pray and really just discern what God wants for us to have in the prayers for every service. I'm like, well, that's, that's really good. You know, that's neat. I can respect that. I can honor that. We're not going to do that. But you know what I mean? Because we're just different from that. That's fine. Well, how we do it's fine too. But you see, there's no wrong in that. It's just different. And now I realize we're part of this family. And we need to love each other. And all these things that divide us are dangerous. And they can cause real problems. Because a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. How many people have heard of 1 Corinthians chapter 13? You know what's in there? That's, they call it the love chapter. Some people think that it's a good scripture to read at weddings or that sort of a deal. But you know, this is about Christians loving each other when there's differences. Chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians is all about spiritual gifts. Various different spiritual gifts, including things like speaking in tongues and prophecy and divine healing and that sort of stuff. Has that topic ever caused division in the body of Christ? Then chapter 14 is some specific applications of how you want to run your church services. And chapter 13 is in the middle. It's about when there's differences between people and you see things differently, but you're all followers of Christ, that there's one thing that's more important than everything else. So let's go to 1 Corinthians. We'll start at the tail end of chapter 12 and let's read through this. 12 verse 30. Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But eagerly desire the greater gifts, and now I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. This is amazing stuff. It doesn't matter how fancy you are and the big fancy things you can do. Those are are okay, but we've got to love each other. If we don't love each other, those things, they fade off into the distance and accomplish nothing. Some people are profoundly gifted, but they just don't like people. And that, that doesn't fit with God. We've got to love each other. How has Jesus loved you? Verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. So this is talking about how we treat each other in church. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. What would it be like 
to belong to a group of people like that, that loved you like Jesus does. We didn't quite get to verse 35 of of chapter 13 of John, did we? Let's go back to there. 1335. I believe if we were able to actually do this, to do the command that Jesus said that we must love one another as he has loved us, that it would be the greatest evangelistic tool this world has ever seen. How many lonely hurting people do you think are out there? Billions of them. How many people aren't sure if anyone cares, if their life matters for anything? How many are out there like that? If we love each other, by this all men will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. It doesn't say all men will think you're religious kooks. It says men will know you're followers of the one true God. Men will know you're disciples of the Alpha and the Omega. They'll know that there's a good thing going on there. And it's the answer. Let's go back to that chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians. Love never fails. Prophecies are important, but they'll cease. Tongues are great. They'll be stilled. Knowledge is neat. (laughs) It's going to pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now in part, now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. What this last section of chapter 13 spoke to me was, you really don't have it figured out, Mike. I mean, we know some stuff. But there's more stuff we don't know than what we know. There are more things about God that I don't know than what I do know. We got this little perspective and we want to fight with each other over our little perspectives and give up on loving each other. It's a disaster. And then verse 13. And now these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. How important is faith? How important is hope? The greatest of these is love. Have you heard the phrase, it takes a village to raise a child? It takes all of us to love each other. We can't put that on a few people. I certainly can't carry the burden for everyone. You know what I mean? Like, Well, he's the pastor. He should be the one that cares. You know, I can get to know some people. You know what I mean? Like, we've got like two billion Christians on the planet. So so the us is, is a billion people plus. I can't get to know a billion people. But each one that I meet, I can love. But it takes a village. It takes all of us loving each other. This is where the whole thing of, well, I can go worship God by myself in the woods breaks apart. Yes, you can. Hallelujah. That's great personal devotional time. But we're to love one another. We're to be the kingdom of God on earth and to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And you can't do that by yourself in the woods. It takes a village. It takes all of us to love one another. If you want to reap being part of 
a faith community full of the love of God, full of that peace and patience and all the attributes from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you want to be part of that, then sow some seed towards that. Show some love for other people. In just a few minutes, I'm going to tell you to say hi to somebody you don't know. Like I do every week. (laughs) Why do I say that? It's because we're called to be a family that's connected, that's together. No one should have to walk through this alone. But we've got to put in the effort to get to know each other for that to happen because it's not, church isn't an event. Church is a family. And again, the family's so big, we're not going to get to know everybody in the family, two billion people. But we need to get to know some of them. We need to encourage those. My last point before I bring up the prayer team I guess this doesn't happen as much as I thought, but I've heard the church complained about as being a social club. Have you ever heard of that? That's just a social club. Here's the deal. We're supposed to be a community that loves each other. Now, we can't skip faith and putting that into practice and those sorts of things. It's for believer to believer, but we're to love one another. When I was you know, just to use a, a, a current Good Hope example, when I was a new Christian, I thought, why in the world do they have church league softball? Softball? We need to pray. We need to study the scriptures. We need to do evangelism. What are we playing softball for? Well, guess what? Softball is in step seven of this progression. It's the love each other part. That's softball. And it's potlucks. And it's these things that might seem like they're not that significant. But it's step seven. (laughs) It's way up there. That's where church league softball is. As long as we don't skip the first steps, then getting to know each other, having fun together, man, it's a big deal. It's part of being the family of God. I'm going to invite the prayer teams up. We're going to close here shortly. So, Add to your faith, goodness, to goodness, knowledge. This is where we build the good thing of God. Add to uh, knowledge, self-control, self-control, perseverance. This is where we protect the good thing of God that's growing in us. And then the fruit of it is godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. We're called to love each other. Who is us? Us is the people that love Jesus. And how do we treat us? We love each other. Let's put John 13, 34 up there just as our closing scripture. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. How has Jesus loved you? Now earlier we mentioned, I wonder if we're capable of this. How do you get capable of loving someone else as Jesus has loved you? It's not by gritting your teeth. It's by going back building your faith, putting it into practice, the things that you learn, going through that process. And again, there's something else that I mention virtually every week when we pray, is that we would know how much God loves us. I believe the key to loving other people is 
having a revelation of understanding of how much God loves you. Of how His mercy and His grace and His fondness and His kindness and His goodness have washed over us. When we can recognize that, then we have extra. But if we just try to grit our teeth and like people more, it's a challenge. So I believe if we're going to love other people as He has loved us, we need to freely receive of the love of God. And man, that'll break stuff off of you. And when you receive of that, then there's an extra overflow for others. So the key is to freely receive. Once you freely receive, then you can freely give.